Our sermon text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can be seated. Our preschoolers can be dismissed as we pray together. Father God, our, our King, our Lord, our, our Savior, our friend, we come to you as people who are redeemed. We come to you as your children. We come to you as needy recipients of your grace. And gratefully, joyfully, we come as recipients of your grace. Pray that as we come here to look at your word, as we come here to be reminded of Christ and his glory and of his, of his faithfulness, pray that you would uh, help our minds and our hearts and our love and our affection to be fixed on him alone. And we pray all of this. In his name, amen. So faithfulness is a rare and a rarely celebrated virtue in our culture, right? Faithfulness. We prefer the spectacular, right? In a world where uh, TikTok celebrities come and go in a month, culture that values 30-day diets, and the culture uh, where, where politicians are more concerned with social media fame than, than doing what you know, they'd be called to do. And in a world where we go from one kind of entertainment to another, we put an emphasis on the spectacular over faithfulness. And so it is rare and rarely celebrated. But here we see that we as Christians who have been called in Christ have been called to this rare and rarely celebrated virtue, to faithfulness. Faithfulness specifically in in, in confidence and in a boasting in our hope and in a love for and obedience to Christ. We have been called even in our culture, in our time, which does not value faithfulness to uh, faithfulness. To our Savior. The writer of Hebrews in the first two chapters that we've been reading, we've been working through and preaching through, uh, he's had a very theological and doxological focus. So in other words, he's been explaining who Christ is and what he was like, all of his attributes and qualities, and has been praising him as is greater than the prophets, as greater than the angels, as greater than any who has come before him. 
worthy of our praise and adoration and affection. And here in chapter 3, the tone changes just a bit. Because here in verse 3, or in chapter 3, we begin to see him being more exhortational. In other words, he's trying to convince and persuade the people who are reading what he has written to do something. Specifically, he is calling for them to have a greater confidence, a greater faith, a greater uh, love for, a greater attachment to more soft hearts towards Jesus, their Savior. A lot of scholars kind of think that this was, this is epistle, this book, Hebrews, was written a little bit later than some of the other books in the Old Testament and, and kind of reflects the fact that the, these people coming after Christ and after even, uh, you know, some of the, the early church had, had passed away were, were getting to a place where they were beginning to wonder, where is Jesus? Why isn't he come back? They had this extreme passion and faith there right after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension as the church grew quickly. But then as they begin to realize that he might not return in their lifetimes, they realized that the faith, the passionate faith that they had was going to be something that they were going to have to have for the long haul, something that they were going to have to have perhaps for the rest of their lives, perhaps even that their children would have to have it for the rest of their lives. And so he calls them in the context of a time where it was hard to have faith and be faithful to faithfulness in their Savior. That's why we have this book. That's why it's been written. That's why it's handed down and passed down to us. And so we are in a similar spot. As I've already mentioned, in a culture that does not value faithfulness, it's, faithfulness is usually something that's done by someone personally in the secret of their own lives, never something that's celebrated. We are called to have faith, long-term faith, to remain faithful to our Savior. To help the uh, Hebrew, or the, the people he's writing to in the book of Hebrews, and to help us as, as well, the writer of Hebrews gives us an example of faithfulness. And this is his focus. His example of faithfulness is Christ. And the faithfulness that he had to his calling. So he says there in verse 1, You brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Of our confession. So, our example is Christ. And to help us understand that better, he compares Christ and his faithfulness to Moses and shows that, that Jesus' faithfulness, which even exceeds Moses' faithfulness, calls forth our own faithfulness. Jesus' faithfulness, the, the focus of this passage, is so great, so powerful, it exceeds Moses', and because of that, it calls forth our faithfulness. Him is our example of faithfulness. So we're going to look at this passage this morning. Basically, uh, this, is a, this is a metaphor that is, uh, just to be honest, it's a little bit complicated, right? So you've got Jesus, who is, uh, who's building the house, but, but also God's building the house. And Moses is like the servant of the house. But Jesus is the son of the house. But also we're the house, right? So, it's, so you've got a lot of stuff going on there. So I won't untie every little bit of this, but I hope to kind of get the general idea of what the writer is going for. Uh, so you can see there, if you've got your notes, uh, we're going to see three things. You'll forgive also my, uh, my creative use of punctuation. 
Uh, for those of you who don't have the notes, uh, here it is. We've got Moses' faithfulness, period. Jesus' faithfulness, exclamation mark. And our faithfulness, question mark. Uh, I, I believe that captures the tone of what uh, the writer's going for here with literally the shortest amount of characters possible. So, uh, so we'll get here uh, into this as we see first that uh, the writer of Hebrews notes that Moses was faithful. He notes first Moses' faithfulness. Now the reason that this writer is bringing out Moses is because he was highly and deeply honored by the Jewish people that he was writing to. Pretty much no one could exceed Moses. No person could exceed Moses for Old Testament Israel. I mean, you've got other important figures in the Old Testament, like Abraham and David, of course. But Moses held a special place. Pretty much everyone of the people of Israel deeply respected, revered, and loved Moses, right? He was like the Dolly Parton of Israel, right? So... Everyone loves and appreciates and respects Moses. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews uses him as an example. But the thing is that these people, these, these Jews, the, the people of Israel, they respected Moses because they were taking their cue from God. In fact, in this uh, verse 2 right here, he says uh, that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. This language right here, Moses being faithful in all God's house, that's not something that this man, this writer just cooked up, but it's actually a reference to the Old Testament in a way that God describes Moses in the book of Numbers. So Numbers 12, if you want to turn there, um, we'll look at a few verses there. We see this story, how Moses comes to be called faithful in all God's house, where this writer of Hebrews is getting this from. See, in Numbers chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1 to get the context of the story. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So in other words, not very keen to defend himself. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to, Arium, and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him, uh, speak with him in a dream. Not so with my, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So Aaron and Miriam, they come, they, they oppose Moses because they, they don't like what he's done, a Marian Cushite woman. They said, you know, I don't really even think we need Moses because God speaks to us too. And God intervenes and he says, hold up, let's wait a minute. The way I speak to you is not 
the same way that I speak to Moses. Moses is faithful in all my house. Why? Because with him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses was faithful in God's house because he was hearing from, directly receiving this conversation from the Lord, being spoken to, as it says, mouth to mouth, hearing the voice of God himself. Because of this, Moses was faithful. And so the people of Israel, in honoring and revering Moses, they were following God's direction here. They, they were trying to seek to avoid the error of, of Aaron and Miriam in, in denigrating Moses. So the writer of Hebrews notes that Moses was faithful. Moses was indeed faithful. So the question, though, of course, is how was Moses faithful? In what way was he, was he faithful in God's house? Well, first, we've already noticed, Right? That God spoke to Moses face to face. He spoke to him mouth to mouth. And because of that, he received special instruction from the Lord. He received special attention from the Lord. He he received from the Lord things that nobody else could claim. He spoke to God face to face, mouth to mouth, as a man speaks to a man. And so Moses was faithful in that way. But very importantly, Moses was faithful in that he established the people of God. Established the people of God as Israel, right? uh, Of course, that was done by God, but Moses was the key human instrument that God uses. So Moses established the people of of God first by bringing them out of Egypt, by taking them out of slavery uh, there in Egypt, and they're led out to, uh, to the wilderness, uh, he, he gives them the law as God gives it to him. Uh, he passes it along. He, he leads them to the promised land despite their frequent objections and, and their frustrations with him. Um, and he intercedes continually for the people when they, when they uh, sin against God and when uh, God's anger threatens to break out against them. Moses intercedes on their behalf uh, in order to preserve them. And so through that, Moses establishes the people of God. Moses is also faithful, as verse 5 says here back in in Hebrews, in 3 verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses was faithful in the sense that he foreshadowed Jesus. The laws that he gave uh, uh, would, would look forward to a Savior who would fulfill them. That the actions he took as a leader, the things he did, even some of the things we've already read, like leading the people, bringing them out of Egypt, delivering them, interceding for them, what he did foreshadowed what Christ would do. He spoke of the things that would come later. So Moses' faithfulness is that he would speak to God face to face, he would establish the people of God, he foreshadowed Christ who would come later. Moses was indeed very faithful to the calling that God had given to him. But it's important to note that Moses is not our example. Moses is not the example of faithfulness in this passage, as faithful as he was. His faithfulness looks forward. His faithfulness is a shadow 
of the substance of Christ and his faithfulness. Moses' faithfulness was helpful. He was a servant in God's house. But Christ is faithful even above Moses. In saying this, that Jesus' faithfulness would exceed even Moses, the writer of Hebrews was saying something a bit controversial. Not because he was trying to be edgy or trying to be controversial, but out of necessity to show that even the greatest of the Old Testament, the greatest figures that we find in the, book of, uh, in the books of, of the Old Testament cannot compare to the glory of the faithfulness of the Son of God, cannot compare to the faithfulness of Christ who would come. For that reason, our example instead is Jesus and his faithfulness. So we see Jesus' faithfulness. So it says that Jesus has been counted as more worthy of glory than Moses. And it says that Jesus contrasts with, with the way that Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus exhibited faithfulness in what he was called to do and what he did in a way that far exceeded anything that Moses or any other uh, individual could possibly do. Jesus, put simply, is more faithful than Moses. He was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful as an apostle and a high priest. The question, of course, is, well, then how was Jesus faithful? What was he faithful in? What did he do? First, we need to say that Jesus was faithful to the Father, right? So Jesus was faithful to his Father. Jesus, of course, had a very clear understanding of, of his being faithful to the Father, of his having obedience to the Father, of his listening to the voice of the Father. For instance, in, in John chapter 5, uh, verses 19, we see Jesus uh, say this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus clearly saw, as you look through the book of John, you see that consistently again and again and again. You see that he understands himself as being sent by God, as being sent by the Father and being obedient to what he has called him to do. Of course, there is a question in this, right, which is how can Jesus, God the Son, be faithful or obedient to God the Father? Uh, some people will say that Jesus is faithful, uh, that he's obedient by his very divine nature. But what we see in this passage and other passages is that he is faithful according to his humanity, is faithful to what God has uh, given him for the purpose of salvation, right? Not that there are two competing wills in God, right? That you've got God the Father's will and you've got God the Son's will and they're, they're fighting at one another and one of them's got to submit. But rather, Jesus submits as a person, as you and I. He is obedient to what the Father has called him to. That is the task of redemption. Jesus is faithful to the task of redemption. 
of redeeming and saving his people, of redeeming and saving you and I. Jesus is faithful to redemption. Two words tell us this in this passage. It says in verse 1 to consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What's interesting about this, these two words, uh, apostle, is one that is not often used to describe Jesus. When we think of apostles, right, we usually think of, of, uh, of Matthew and, and Paul and John and those who were his disciples and sent out by Jesus. But here it calls Jesus the apostle of our confession. The idea behind this is that Jesus is sent, he's directed for a specific purpose, that he is gone to do something, that he has a task to be accomplished, and that is the task of redemption. That Jesus' calling is to, uh, to, to be faithful in, in uh, what we see next, to be our high priest. So in other words, uh, he is sent for the purpose of interceding for us. As many of you know, the high priest in the uh, Old Testament uh, worship was uh, the one who would intercede for the people of God for their sins. And so Jesus does this on our behalf, that Jesus is our apostle and high priest. So in other words, he is sent for the task of redemption. He is sent for your salvation. The thing that Jesus was faithful to was to make you a child of God. Jesus was faithful to the task of redemption and redeeming you from all of your sins. Jesus was faithful to the task of redemption to bridge the gap between you and God. He was faithful to his task of redemption. It's important to note, though, not just who Jesus was faithful to or what task he was faithful towards, But it's also important to note the depths of his faithfulness, how deep his faithfulness goes. So right above this, in Hebrews 2, and the verses come right above this, we see the depth of Jesus' faithfulness. Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that... Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, Jesus' faithfulness, his faithfulness to the task that God had sent him to, of course, was living and being a person, a human, just like you and me in perfect obedience to God's law, we might add, perfectly being a human as God attended from the very beginning. But his faithfulness to what he had been called to was not just to be a good human, but to give himself in death. Was to give himself all the way to the point of death so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. In other words, Jesus surrendered himself. He was faithful to his calling to the point where it cost him his life in an agonizing death for our redemption. Jesus was faithful 
to what he had been called to do. Jesus was faithful to the Father who, uh, who sent him for the task of redemption, becoming obedient to the point of an agonizing death for our redemption. And for that reason, he has much greater authority and, and honor and glory than Moses, as the, the writer emphasizes again and again. See that especially in verse 5 and in the first half of verse 6, where he says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So in other words, Jesus has greater authority than Moses. He is faithful over the house rather than being faithful in the house. And that he's faithful as a son rather than a servant. Meaning that his status, his glory, his authority far exceeds that even of God's servant Moses. The one that he, uh, that he defended against charges there in the book of Exodus. Jesus' faithfulness is incredible. It's astounding in its scope, in its depth, and what was accomplished by it. Moses, in his faithfulness, he, he spoke to God face to face, sure. But Jesus was the very Son of God, God the Son who took on flesh to come and reveal God to us. Moses, he was faithful to establish the people of God, yes, but Jesus in his faithfulness established the kingdom of God where people of every tribe and nation can come and and, and experience redemption and salvation. Moses was was faithful. He he interceded for the people at, at risk even to his own hurt, but Jesus intercedes for us by giving himself all the way to the point of death. Jesus' faithfulness is unmatched, it's unparalleled. Jesus' faithfulness exceeds even that of Moses. And for that reason, he is our example of faithfulness. His perfect faithfulness is our example of, of holding fast to what God had called him to do in accomplishing the task of redemption. So that leads us to the open question, in a sense, that the writer presents there in verse 6. It's the question of our faithfulness. It's the question of whether we will hold fast. End of verse 6 says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the question is, will we hold fast? Will we stop holding fast? Of course, we're a room full of Baptists, I presume, at least mostly, right? So our immediate question is, well, right, it's okay. So we can't really stop holding fast, right? We can't really fall away. And sure, the writer of Hebrews doesn't deny that, doesn't deny that true believers won't fall away, right? He just says, if we hold fast to our confidence, boasting and hope, we are his house. But... The emphasis, when we talk about, sometimes we talk about human responsibility and God's sovereignty, right? We have to have a human be responsible, but God is in control. And so we like to emphasize that side. It's more comforting, right? That God will continue, that he will hold us fast, that he will bring us all the way to the completion of our salvation and glory. But there is the human responsibility side, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to remember, 
He's calling us to remember that God will preserve us, but he will preserve us through the way that we hold fast, that both are true. So for that reason, we must continue holding fast to our confidence and our boasting. We must continue to look to our example of faithfulness, of Christ who was perfectly faithful. Only thing is, though, when we consider Christ and his example of faithfulness and the depths that he was faithful to, and we, we call that our example, uh, it's hard not to despair. It's hard not to be crushed by that, right? How, Jesus was perfectly faithful, and that's who we're supposed to consider? That's who we're supposed to follow after? I think it's important to note something. Jesus and our faithfulness are alike in the sense that they're faithfulness to a calling, but they are different in what we've been called to. Remember that Jesus was called to the task of redemption. He was called to accomplish redemption. He was called to to win our salvation through his obedience and his death. Through living as a person, dying as a person, being resurrected. Jesus came to accomplish our salvation, to do it. We have not been called to faithfulness in a task, but to faithfulness in a person. We paradoxically realize, we have to realize that our faithfulness is not to the faithfulness of doing a bunch, but faithfulness to the faithful one. It is holding fast not to a list of things that we can accomplish and things that we can do, but holding fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope in a realization that we are not perfect, we are not complete, but rather it is hope, hope in Christ who accomplishes our salvation on our behalf. We are frequently unfaithful in our obedience to God and our our love for neighbor, we are called to, a, to faithfulness in the one who is always perfectly obedient, perfectly faithful to God's calling, and has perfectly redeemed us and removed our sin, our guiltiness, and restored us to God. That kind of faithfulness is not the kind of faithfulness, the kind of, uh, the kind of work that we would expect to see but instead it is all an act of grace. Remaining faithful to a person rather than faithful to some task or some responsibility or some, that is extremely countercultural, as we've talked about. Our culture values the spectacular, the, the big displays of, 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 of momentary action and power and glory, but we are called to long-term faithfulness in one who has done it all on our behalf. If you were to go on to, uh, to the internet this afternoon and, and look for inspiration 
uh, for remaining faithful, you'll run into a lot of the hustle culture on the internet, right? Where it's like, you got to do more, you got to try harder, you got to stack habits until, you know, eventually you've got like all of your dreams. So you've made the numbers go up in your bank account and your job and everything else uh, for, for a long, long time. Uh, and the way to that is by working really hard. But the Christian way of faithfulness is faithfulness to the one who has accomplished these things on our behalf. Our faithfulness, our confidence, our boasting is in a person, and it is in Christ. And for that reason, it is essential to our faithfulness to get our view of Christ right. In order to be faithful, we must view the faithful one correctly. As it says here, our holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He didn't say here, uh, you share in a heavenly calling, like figure out what the calling is. But he says to look to the faithful person, to look to the faithful one who is faithful on our behalf. So for that reason, if our, if our views of Jesus are distorted, if our understandings of Christ are messed up, then our faithfulness is going to follow. Our faithfulness will waver. If we view Jesus as nothing more than an idea or, or a doctrine or, or just a piece of theology, then faithfulness becomes all about getting our theology right, making sure that every theological T is crossed and every theological I is dotted. And as important as that is, faithfulness to Jesus, faith in Christ, goes deeper than that. It is resting and trusting if we have an idea that, that Jesus is just kind of a feeling that we get deep down, then faithfulness means constantly chasing the good, warm fuzzies that Jesus gives us. But he's more than that. Sure, we feel good when we follow Christ, absolutely. There's more to it than that. We view Jesus merely as a leader who gives us the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and all the right things to do, all the, the good ethical principles, then it just becomes about following all of that. Faithfulness simply becomes trying to copy and mirror Jesus in a task. All of this is insufficient. To correctly view and understand Jesus, we need to see him as a savior. Not just a Savior, our Savior, our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, our high priest who intercedes on our behalf and unites us to God, who accomplishes our redemption. Our focus must be on him as a Savior. One theologian says, he who needs no mediator also needs no mercy. He is not really willing to receive righteousness as a free gift. Rather, he wishes to find righteousness in the depths of his own soul. Only he who recognizes Jesus as mediator or savior really accepts the impossibility of a healing from the tear from the inside, from the depths of our own human soul. And thus we admit the reality of guilt and sin. Just as the word of God is fulfilled in the word made flesh, so faith is fulfilled through faith and the mediator. Our faith is in none other than Christ. So as we encourage one another to faithfulness, let that be faithfulness to a person. Faithfulness to the faithful one. Loving, revering, adoring, obeying, yes, but faith centrally 
rest in Christ. Let's call one another to that. And let me pray for us.